Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, coming to you on day seven. Wimbledon's manic Monday is upon us. We have 16 men's and women's singles matches on the docket. It's going to be a crazy one. It's going to be a hot one. Coming aboard the program today to join us to talk a little bit about what's been going on over the first week at Wimbledon, including the exodus of seeds from the women's draw and the very intriguing bottom half of the men's draw is Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink. He was nice enough to give us some time on day six as play was concluding. We'll get to that interview shortly. We'll also hear from Daria Kazakina, Hiron Hachinov, and Yelena Ostapenko briefly about their runs. They are all playing in week two action today. In fact, 11 players in the men's and women's singles draw have a shot to reach their first Grand Slam quarterfinal. That's 11 of the 32. So major milestones are upon us today at Wimbledon. And of course, we've got Roger Federer in the mix, the man with the 29 consecutive sets won at Wimbledon. He is just five sets away from matching the Wimbledon all-time record for consecutive sets won. That will be pretty magical. He'll face Adrian Manorino today. On center court, we'll also see Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Juan Martin Del Potro, so no shortage of superstar power on the men's side. The women's side, of course, lacking nine of the top ten seeds. We do have number seven seeded Karolina Pliskova in the mix. We'll also see Daria Kazetkina, Alison van Oitfunk, Yelena Ostapenko, among others. Of course, Angelique Kerber and Belinda Bencic is another match we'll be watching closely, so No shortage of storylines, no shortage of excitement on day seven at Wimbledon. Let's get right into the interview with Steve Flink and talk about it straight ahead. I am here with Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink, and we are going to do a brief discussion for the Lucky Ledcord podcast on some of the happenings here. It's day six at Wimbledon, and some crazy stuff going out. We just saw Simona Halep get knocked out of the draw. Steve Flink, how you doing? Good to be with you, Chris. I'm doing fine. It's been a kind of a tumultuous Wimbledon. Who could have foreseen so many upsets in the men's and women's, but particularly among the women? Some real shockers. It's pretty crazy. Before we talk about that, though, I always marvel at your legendary status. The Hall of Fame status is one thing, but the Wimbledon streak, it's impressive. What's it at this year? Well, I've I've come to every Wimbledon since 1977, so it's 42 in a row. And and I was at nine before that as a sort of a fan and reporter in training, so all together, 51. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so we were going to talk a little bit about the men's draw. Not Federer's side, because with Chilich going out, we think that makes things a little bit simpler. Though There are some things to talk about there. But what do you think of the lower half of the draw? I find it pretty intriguing with Novak Djokovic, Juan Martin Del Potro, Nick Kyrgios. A lot of names in there. How do you see it playing out? What have you seen so far this week? Also, Rafa's in that half. I agree with you about that. It's a very interesting bottom half because Djokovic has come into form. We don't know yet as we speak whether he's going to beat Kyle Edmund or not. But if he did, you know, he could come into the second week with a nice head of steam. And I like the way he's been playing. We don't know if that injury he sustained in the last round is serious or not. Took a, He was grimacing a bit toward the end, and he didn't know in his press conference. But assuming that Novak is physically right, mentally he looks like he's very sharp, very confident. So I like the way he's playing. So, I mean, you have Nadal potentially heading for a quarterfinal against El Potro. And uh, the winner might just end up playing Djokovic. But you, we have Nick Kyrgios 
in that section. So it's it, it's really hard to gauge who's going to come out of that because a Nick Nick might meet Novak in a quarter, for instance, uh, assuming he beats Nishikori. There's so many intriguing possibilities. Nishikori has shown back at the 2014 U.S. Open just what he can do at a major when he's physically right. So I think there are a lot of exciting possibilities on the bottom half. The only thing we could possibly anticipate in the top half is Roger Federer getting through to the finals and perhaps doing so without even losing a set. All right, that's the drama. Is he going to break his own record for consecutive sets won at Wimbledon? I suspect so. I mean, he, <laughs> I think he's really trying very hard. He's very conscious of conserving his energy coming into the finals. I mean, he, you want to be as fresh as you can possibly be, and the draw has broken for him, Chris, as you know. I mean, he should have had to play Borna Krorich in the round of 16 who just beat him over in the finals of, uh, of Halley after Roger had won in Stuttgart. You know, they had the German tournaments back-to-back, and and it looked like Roger was going to win it, and Krorich knocked him off there after almost beating him earlier in the year at Indian Wells. Yeah. So he has a win on the German grass, a narrow loss on the hard courts in Indian Wells, and I thought, wow, now we'd see another grass court meeting. He gets a lot of balls back. His serve bothers Federer. I thought it was going to be a really intriguing round of 16. Didn't didn't happen. Krorich bows out first round, and then we figured, I felt like you did, that Chilich was a big threat here. Yep. Chilich had won Queens. He'd been in the finals of the Australian this year, finals here last year, losing both to Federer, and it, it looked like he was growing into his greatness, you might say, that we saw back in 14 when he won the U.S. Open. Indeed. And uh, he, he flopped. And, uh, you know, against Peya, he played a very bad match, blew a two-set lead, and came back the next day and lost that match in five. So the draw has just opened up for Roger. He might potentially have to deal with Milos Raonic. Yeah. That could be a test, but I just don't see any of those guys capable right now of beating him. I think the only people that can beat him are on the bottom half of the draw. Exactly, yeah. it's it's. Um, Chilich was a huge disappointment. I wanted to circle to back. To you and to me. Yeah, to both of us. <laughs> I wanted to circle back and um, get back to Novak Djokovic because in, I remember in 2016, I had no idea that Novak Djokovic might be ailing. I just thought it was his time to take a loss, and he took that loss to Sam Querrey, and you were prescient. You knew that something was not right with Novak, and for a, for a long time now, something is, hasn't been right with him, but he really appears to be rounding into form. I'm just crossing my fingers, not because I'm rooting for anybody, because I want him to see him in full health, that that injury that we all saw in the second round isn't anything serious. And yeah. I'm not convinced yet until I see him play Kyle Edmund. No, you're right. And he was guarded in the press conference. He just said he didn't think it was anything serious. He'd had it looked at. They did a few tests, so maybe they eliminated some of the more dire possibilities. Right. But that doesn't mean he's going He needs to be full tilt. And if he is, I'd have no doubt that Djokovic in full at the height of his physical powers, beats Edmund without a doubt. Right. Even though he lost to him on the clay earlier this year. But he has turned the corner. It, it, he had a couple of good matches in Monte Carlo. He beat Krorich, you know, Then he had a semi in Rome where he lost to Nadal. And then he should have been in the semis of the French. He, <laughs> lo- he, lo- you know, he lost to the Italian there, and that was unfortunate because the matches shouldn't have lost. But then bounced back, right. final to Queens, one point away from winning Queens. So there's been a steady... Uh, evolution in the right direction for, for Djokovic. So you, I, I think this is a big opportunity. And frankly, Chris, I think if he can get through the next few rounds and somehow get by Kyrgios, which I think he could do in a tough, long match featuring some tie breaks, that he, if he met Nadal in the semis, I, I think he'd be very dangerous. With each, with each round, I think he just would get better and better. Yeah, well, if he's right, but that's the big question mark. It is, and well said. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of intrigue on the lower half. So for anybody out there who's thinking this is just a Roger, Roger Federer show, just just hang in there because stuff's bound to happen. Um, women's side, absolute chaos. Now there are nine of the top ten seeds not into the second week. What do you make of this? 
It's inexplicable because we've had years here where the courts were a little slippery and there was all kinds of strange things happening in early rounds because the players didn't seem have the courts seemed fine to me this year. Few bad bounces, but largely quite good. Weather's been almost perfect, and yet this rash of upsets. Uh, I, I, part of it is the parity in the women's game right now is being uh, magnified here. We're seeing it. We're seeing it magnified. So that's part of it. Some of it is just plain inexplicable. Mm-hmm. That one of them after another doesn't live up to their potential. And let's face it, it's a major. It's yes, it's on the grass, but these top players are supposed to be living up to expectations, and they're not. Yeah. But there- of course, looming in the background, not in the background, now in the foreground is Serena. They seeded her 25, but she's been getting better with each match, and the more she sees those other top ones losing, the more confident she becomes. Not that she takes it for granted that she's going to play a lower-ranked player, but she likes the way her form has improved, and then that's coupled with observing what's happening to all, the, all of the others. You're listening to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. We are talking with Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink. And now, back to the interview. And if we look at the nine seeds that have fallen, of course, number seven seeded Karolina Pliskova is the only one who has made the second weekend. Good on her, but which of the nine maybe would you say was the most disappointing for you? That's that's tough to say. I, I, I maybe I'm giving Halep a little pass because she'd just come off winning the French, and grass is not her surface. Sure, I was a bit dis- disappointed in Wozniacki, but uh, you know she lost to a very tough grass court player and who's beaten her before. And I, I don't think one stands out, but I think it's just it's just the cumulative effect of all of them, and the the fact that n- nobody was able to sort of use their match playing prowess or their experience to to get through against players they they expected to beat. Yeah, you make a good point. Using the match play, the prowess, the you know the experience, and, and being able to fight through these situations. Uh, someone like Amugarutha, even Petra Kvitova, who faced a really inform uh, Sasnovich. It was a. I would have liked to see something but more. But Petra from her. went down six love in the third. Yeah, that, that's 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 not justifiable. It's just not. It's not. I agree. Not with her left-handed serve and her grass court game and having won this title twice. It, it didn't make sense to me at all. So. She still remains something of, of an enigma, and so do many of the others. Oh, we mentioned Serena, yes, and she steps to the foreground here with full confidence. Um, anybody else you got your eyes on that you think could uh, come from that 11 to 32 pack of the seeds, or Angelique not, not Kerber really. maybe? Kerber maybe, you know, although she's she's got to beat Osaka as we speak, and that's Correct. that's a, uh, she had an early break in the first set when I left that one, and but yes, Kerber is Kerber has been, has been in the finals here before. She's fully capable and. Frankly, I've been expecting, Chris, better things from Angelique Kerber this year. She got to the semis of the Australian and nearly beat Halep. Match point, she was so close mm-hmm. and uh, might have won that tournament. Who, who knows if she'd gotten a crack at Wozniacki in the final. But uh, since then, I think she's had sort of a mediocre season by her standards. We're not looking at the player that was number one a couple of years ago that won two majors. But she's getting closer to that level again. So I guess you know if she can sneak through a few more matches, yes, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I would think that she would have a, a reasonable chance. And because we haven't spoken in quite some time, I wanted to go back to a couple of the tennis legends, Wimbledon legends that we lost this season. Um, Jana Novotna is one 1998 Wimbledon champion and a, and, a, and a player and a person that was so dear in so many hearts. And of course, we lost Maria Bueno as well. Can you comment on either of those? I always like to refer to you as the historian with the knowledge on going way back. Well, Jana had had one of the best forehand volleys I've ever seen. She was just a great attacking player. She managed to get over the, the haunting memory 
of losing to Steffi Graf from two breaks up in the final. She was up 4-1 with points for 5-1 in the final set and lost that final in 93. Then came back, as you said, and won the title. Uh, she was a beautiful player to watch and one, and one of the best volleyers, period. I singled out her forehand volley, but she had a great backhand volley as well. So she, she'll she be remembered for the, the, the this aggression and, and her a very appealing style of play. And, and, and a fragile competitor, yes, but one who overcame her anxieties and managed to win the biggest tournament of them all. Maria Bueno was just an artist, an absolute artist who thrived at all the majors. Great grass court player in the grass court era. And... Uh, and I have a personal memory of having played her once in New York in 1985 when she came to a private club where I happened to walk in and they hadn't, there was nobody to play with her. She came and was going to hit with one of the pros and the pros weren't there, so I was asked to play with her. Wow. We played four tiebreakers. Somehow wow. I managed to split, to steal the last two, but I think I was very lucky. <laughs> that was one of my favorite memories in terms of and an on-court experience. But Maria was, she just was a beautiful player. And what everybody used to say about her, and I observed myself, is that, as Ted Tinling said when her shot said once, the great historian and dress designer, that Maria's shots were like arrows. Nancy Ritchie told me about this recently, too. The ball would come off a racket, and you wouldn't think it was coming that fast, and suddenly it was right up on you. It was deceptive pace. And she, she was a, a beautiful volleyer and had a really nice kick serve. And Maria was a, a, a product of her times, you know, an attacking player and who did her best work in the in the 60s, first half of the 60s, when when three of the four were still on grass, three of the four majors. So I, I really enjoyed watching Maria play. And a South American. Yes, from Brazil. Fantastic. Yeah, just a beautiful player. Great. Somewhat forgotten, unfortunately, but it, it was her passing was a sad moment for all of us in the world of tennis. Now, Steve, anything else before we part that you're looking forward to rest of today or, or next week that you want to tee up for us? Well, I'm just looking forward to, to one of those guys, whether it's Kyrgios trying to finally make his mark. I think that would be an intriguing final with Federer and Kyrgios because every time he plays Roger, it's right down to the wire. And Or Nadal in, you know, 10 years after the Epic, and that would be their fourth final here because they played 6, six 7, and 8 in the finals with Rafa winning the latter and Roger winning the first two. Or Novak because he played Roger in the finals in 14 and 15 and beat him, beat him both times. That would be an interesting renewal of a rivalry here on the center court of Wimbledon where Djokovic has already demonstrated that he has the game and the mentality to, to beat Roger Federer. So I think any of those finals, I would love to, I'd be happy with any, with any of those. They were all very intriguing. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. I hope we can tee it up again in week two. Thanks for your time. Chris, thanks for having me on. Wow, 42 straight Wimbledons for Steve Flink. That's pretty amazing. That puts him up there in Feliciano Lopez category. Of course, the Spaniard played his 66th straight major at Wimbledon. That is the all-time record for Grand Slam tennis. Uh, Moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about Russia's Daria Kazetkina, a player that has got a lot of notoriety in the last year or so, and it's well-deserved because Kasatkina is now proving that she's not just talented, she's not just a brilliant player to watch with a wonderful skill set, she also knows how to win tennis matches. The 21-year-old has now reached the second week of a major for the third time in her last four, and she will meet Belgians Alison and Van Oitfunk 
in the round of 16 today with a chance to reach her first quarterfinal at Wimbledon. It would also mean that Kazakina will have reached back-to-back quarterfinals at the majors, a very nice step in her career progression. We caught up with her on day six after she defeated one of the hotter grass court players on tour, Ash Barty. Here's what Kazakina had to say about her form on the grass. Can you talk a bit about your return? And your numbers are crazy. Like I think yeah. you've won 19 out of 30 return games. You've converted 19 of 26 break points. Is there a strategy you have out there? Is there a way you're playing returns? Reason that it's working uh, so well for you? Uh, it's weird to put your strategy to win the to put everything on the returns on grass. <laughs> so just coming naturally. I don't know. Um, I don't even recognizing these things. I'm not watching the opponent and counting where she gonna serve tomorrow, her favorite surf and this stuff. I'm just I just go, I watch the ball and I react. That's all I do. I just go, I watch the ball and I react. Uh, you wreck players out there. Just try that one next time you hit the court. See if you can do it as well as Dasha Kazakina. Kazakina was also asked about the exodus of seeds in the in the first week at Wimbledon, of course, you know, this this has been unprecedented territory that we're in this year at Wimbledon. Nine of the top 10 seeds out of the draw. Spoke with colleague Ben Rothenberg last night who had done some research and got some statistical information from the people at the ITF. And this has never happened in a Grand Slam draw in the Open era. It's never been this bad for the top 10 seeds. It's pretty unprecedented. Here's what Kasatkina had to say about it. Uh, um not really on the phone checking all the scores of the seeded players so it's tennis and whatever can happen you can win the grass and then you can lose first round next tournament so it doesn't really matter the these numbers there i i don't care about these numbers let's say Grass is a funky surface, and not all players do very well on it. Some players just never get comfortable. They're not getting accustomed to the lower bounce. Their serve doesn't really hit the grass and take off like some other players do. But that's not a problem for Russia's Karen Kachanov. He is into the second week at Wimbledon. He is a player that enjoys the grass, even though he doesn't have a conventional grass court game. He likes to stay behind the baseline. He does change his tactics ever so slightly and become more aggressive on the surface. He's also pretty good at closing points off at the net. It all adds up to a pretty dangerous player that we'll see facing number 12 seeded Novak Djokovic in today's round of 16. Hachinov came back from two sets down to defeat Francis Tiafo. 4-6-4-6-7-6-3-6-2-6-1 on Saturday, and he told me that the grass is a surface he likes, and he explained why he feels he can play well on it. <laughs> do, you, do you change your game at all for the grass season, or is it pretty much the same style of play that you mm, Pretty much the same, but still, on grass it's a little quicker, it's a little faster, you need to, to be more aggressive than normal, let's say. But you, you have to try to find balance between uh, being aggressive and not to make so many unforced errors as well. So it's not like you just go full, you go boom, boom, and that's it. But you have to, of course, to be more closer to the line. It's tougher to reach to all the balls uh, when you're defending. Mm-hmm. So that's the main difference between other surfaces. So you cannot recover faster, let's say, but from your side, you have to clean uh, more aggressive and, uh, yeah. To, to try to step in more inside the court, to come to the net, to finish some points faster. And, of course, you have a lot of advantage on the serve. 
your results show that you like it on this surface. Is that, that's safe to say, right? Yeah, yeah. I like grass in general. I think my game can fit on all surfaces and um, grass uh, as well, of course. Why not? I mean, I have a big surf and then um, I try to, to risk on return, to try to um, play more aggressive, like I said, uh, to shortcut the points if I have chances. So, And then we'll see where this kind of game will bring me here. Winning at the Grand Slam level is all about stepping up under pressure and performing at your best. And that's something that number 12 seeded Yelena Ostapenko knows how to do well. She won Roland Garros last year. She was also a quarterfinalist at Wimbledon in 2017. And don't let the early exit at Roland Garros this year fool you. A lot of pressure there for Ostapenko. She didn't perform well in Paris. But here at Wimbledon, she's in the second week and she's one of just three former Grand Slam champions left in the Wimbledon draw. Spoke with Ostapenko after her win over Vitalia Diachenko on day six and asked her how pleased she was about her ability to rebound from a poor showing at Roland Garros. I must be really pleased um, just to have the reaction you're having playing so well here after Roland Garros. I know that was disappointing, but you've shown up here and just turned it back on. I mean, I expected something like that can happen at the French Open because I had to defend um, such a big title for the first time and I had all this pressure. But now it's over and I'm playing here and uh, just enjoying time and uh, showing my best here. Do you feel like the pressure now is, is, is gone again after, after Roland Garros? You've got a, like, kind of a, a new vibe? I mean, I just tried to forget it as quick as I could and uh, yeah, I just have the good tournament here and I'm just enjoying it. Yes, Yelena Ostapenko will certainly be a player to watch on day seven at Wimbledon. And let us just mention, before we say goodbye, that of the nine top ten seeds who were eliminated in week one, eight of the players who executed those upsets are still alive in the draw. So many informed players to watch on Monday, both on the men's and women's side. That is going to be a wrap for today's edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. Special thanks to our guest, Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Enjoy Manic Monday.